Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, presented to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. We have a special for you here, a Sebring special. We're going back 35 years, fittingly so, because this is centered around a Porsche 935. The amazing Stefan Johansson driving for the Denarves Enterprises team. A Porsche 935 at the very end of its life at the Sebring 12 Hours in 1984, going up against the brand new GTP-style machines with Hans Heyer and Maurizio Denarves as his teammates. That might sound normal. This is the most unnormal, non-normal, anti-normal story possible. Stefan is convinced that this adventure he went on was indeed the inspiration for the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, starring Steve Martin and John Candy. And I'm not going to give much away here because you just need to listen. Stefan, master storyteller, uh, everything he's done with us in the podcast from his days in Formula One, IndyCar, you name it, he's just, he's the best. Love him so much. And so this is 10, 15 minutes or so that I carved out from a podcast we recorded last year, actually, uh, sitting here in Sebring in 2018, was just sitting on this, waiting to roll it out, knowing that this crazy tale of Stefan Johansson trying to get to Sebring, having never been here before. (laughs) Uh, There's just too much in here. And again, I don't want to give any of it away. An aging Porsche 935, um, just pure madness. This is genuinely one of my favorite stories that I've heard on our podcast. Now we've just celebrated 500 episodes so far. So I'm going to let us roll just right into it here. Once again, thank you to Cooper Tires. Thank you to the Justice Brothers for making this all possible. And thanks to Stefan Johansson for living a crazy life and being willing to share those tales with us. Off we go with my favorite suite. So, Steph, we're here at Sebring. And knowing that outside of your decade in Formula One, kart, team ownership, indie cars, all kinds of stuff, your time in sports cars, man, you drove a lot of fun things, crazy things. What was your first Sebring like? Every Johansson tale has some, like, oh my <laughs> Joe, God, is, aspect to it. This has got a really good one, actually. It was with Joost, uh, Ronald Joost, because I've been driving for him the year before in 83 with the 956 in Europe. And uh, this deal came together very, very late with uh, Maurizio Danarvais, who was the third driver in the car, came up with the money, I guess. And they actually pulled out this old Moby Dick Porsche, the, the 93, what's it called? The 935, yep. yeah. Um, out of the museum, literally, the Porsche Museum. <laughs> It'd been in there for years, you know. And uh, I mean, it still had like you know, duct tape numbers on the side of 47, <laughs> whatever. It was like absolutely last minute, you know, just fill it up with fuel and send it more or less, you know. But the the funny part of the story is that it was me, Hans Heyer, yep. and Maurizio. And Hans and I, we were leaving Frankfurt uh, to fly out on... I'm guessing it would have been Monday, probably, to arrive here Monday night in Sebring. Anyway, it was like that movie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles on steroids, because <laughs> we didn't arrive. Those uh, aren't two pillows. We arrived on Saturday morning before the race. You're 
kidding. No, it was like unbelievable. It was engines broken, snow delays, <laughs> diversions, trains literally from somewhere up in upstate New York down to some other airport. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, it was, I mean to make a very long story short, but I mean, it, this went on for like four days to try to get there. It was crazy. And we arrived on Saturday morning by car. We flew in. So we had to drive like three hours. We arrived here like at eight in the morning. Exhausted from the trip just to get here. Destroyed because we hadn't slept for like four days. I mean, literally just, you know, sleeping on airport benches and stuff, you know. And um, I'd never seen the track. Never seen the car. No idea worth, you know, of, of anything. We... We arrived at the track. I don't think we even, as far as I'm aware, we, I'm not even sure we signed in. <laughs> With, you know, given Denaro's qualified the car like in, I don't know. A millionth place. 50th place yeah. or something. Yeah, because it was, it was like 80 cars or something starting a race then. And so he starts the race. And it kind of does his thing, sort of more or less the same. Then Hans jumps in and starts, you know. I mean, he gets, gets up to speed pretty quick, you know, so he, he starts picking up some places and then it's my turn, you know, and I said, I've never driven the car. I had no idea of the track. Left, exactly. right. I could just see the left. Yeah. Okay. After the we'll pit. figure it out after and turn one. And back then was like with a huge airfield. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like to try to, I mean, to just get your bearings right, <laughs> where, where to turn even was difficult, you know. And then this car had this locked rear diff. Oh, jeez. So if you lift completely, that, like if you're turning right, you know, and, you, and, you, and you're going at pretty hefty speed as you did then, and then you lift off completely, the thing would just turn left because the diff would just steer it, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So you kind of, and I, had, I knew nothing about it. I mean, literally, it was like half an hour to get our shit together, you know, and helmets and everything, and then just, <laughs> all right, you're on, you know. So... I mean, I was being passed by many, I mean, anything you could see out there, you know. So then Hans sat me down afterwards, you know, and I was like, okay, this is how you got to drive this car, you know. And then, uh, So the next stint I get in, you know, then I'm starting to get a hang of the thing, you know. And then at, at the end of that stint, I was actually lapping the same time as the leaders. Then I started to get a feel for it and understanding, you know, and I could see what the others was doing in front of me and, Breaking points and so on. So, so then, then we were up to speed, and and then so Hans and I was doing pretty much the same lap times, but we were still way the hell down, like in twentieth something, you know. And then, but anyway, so like from about, I would say about five o'clock, maybe six o'clock in the evening, something like that. I got in the car again, and you know, sometimes you just get in this sort of zone where. You, it's like walking on the pavement, you know, you're just on the limit. And if, we were flying at this point, you know, and we were little by little just ticking one after the other. And I think we passed, I think it was stuck in the Coca-Cola car oh. for the lead with like an hour to go. And this is and just for those who aren't aware, in 84 here, you're in an old 935 against Brand new GTPs, yeah, yeah, right? I yeah. mean, so I'm not saying the full field. There's still a lot of 935s, yeah. but uh, a 935 wasn't necessarily the hot ticket. I mean, there were some newer, faster machines, yeah. and uh, yeah, so this wasn't easy. No, no, but I mean, it was it was a, a fantastic race. I mean, it's amazing. You know, sometimes you just drive like 
like it's not just just get in that zone, you know, and it's just beautiful, you know, and it was amazing. And then we ended up winning the race. So, how so I you... think I ended up, I drove, I think, at least six out of 12 hours in the end. <laughs> so, yeah. So how do you how do you do this stuff? And I, I'm asking a, a dumb question, but you go through hell just to get there. You've turned zero laps in the car. What happens after turn one on your first lap? You're not sure. Am I going left, right, straight? Yeah. Well, I don't know. To come in that exhausted and cold and in the race, in this kind of old dog of a car that's being dusted off against some very, some newer, you know, there are even still some new 935s that were in the field then and the GTP cars. There's just a part of you that's like, how the hell do you overcome all of the things that should be conspiring against you figure it all out in the race and beat everybody that's crazy yeah but that's that's what it's all about i mean those are the great days you know when you when you get in that state of mind it's like it's like it's you can't describe it but it's i guess that's what we live for you know it's 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 such an amazing feeling when you just you're just so in tune with everything that it's like it just it's like walking on the pavement you know it's it's no effort it's just you're totally on top of everything it's 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 a just a phenomenal feeling and those things only happen those things don't happen that often in an elite driver's career i mean you can win championships and and there are many things that can happen that are amazing in your career but those days like this Mm. Those don't happen too many times in a career, right? No. No, I mean, I wish they could. I think that's where Ayrton Senna's strength was, that he could dial into that state of mind, you know, when he was like in a different zone, you know. But I've had it happen several times, but I wish I could just tune in like that. But because it is just uh, just extraordinary, amazing feeling, you know. It really is. Tell me a little bit about that. 9.35, because other than the frickin' locker rear end, of which you'd naturally want on a, you know, airport road course, mm. um, what did it do that wasn't insane? I mean, it was from brakes to power. Obviously, you're able to wring the crap out of it, but uh, what did it do that seemed to work for you, at least? Well, it was just, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it was a bit, I mean, the car was a beast, basically, you know. But, I mean, all cars were kind of beasts back then, you know. Um, tubular frame, flexing like crazy, you know. So you kind of had to anticipate. But you you adjust to driving accordingly, you know. You you sort of, you, you know, when you get, a, get into it, you know, you apply the power and then you kind of wait for the chassis to unspool itself, you know. And then it's like you rip. <laughs> let a rubber band loose you know and the thing just bluff and then you got to have enough room to correct you know and not only correct but to pick the next gear because when the turbo lit up you know and the whole thing took off because it was had a lot of horsepower sure. those things. did and, you have a boost knob in the car yeah oh jesus yeah. you and a boost knob that that that's a yeah. marriage made in heaven <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean but it, it was you know it was a diff- very difficult car to drive and Sebring today is still a place where there are a lot of sections of the track that are damn dark. Yeah. And that's an improvement. 
over what it was back then. What was it like, again, being new to the place and having to race in the dark as well? I I mean, that that seems like that would be almost Yeah, but the dark is strange. Because when you've been doing so many laps around there, you know, you have your marker points. You don't really, frankly, you don't need to see that much. Because you know where you're going anyway, you know, because by that time it's all automatic, you know, it's just all, your brain's just working on all the different inputs you get, you know, and you've, you know where to turn, you know, you know, you know where everything is. So you just have marker points, your braking points, you know, the turning points and this and that, you know, because that's what you do all the time on the track anyway. You, you always pick out, you know, so you turn out, everything is just kind of systematic all the way, you know, it's, it doesn't just fl- like happen like this. Everything is very systematic when you drive you know so if i'm thinking of fun reunions and or i can't believe we did that have you um and hans and denarvas ever had a chance just to to reminisce about what you guys accomplished yeah yeah we 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 meet every now and it's funny you know because maurizio turned up in santa monica i think last year maybe two years ago now and he came to my studio, my art studio. Your amazing studio. Yeah, we hung out there for the day, you know, and went and had lunch and everything, and uh, it was it was kind of cool. Yeah. So you win Sebring your first time out. There's part of me that says, "Man, did that just kind of spoil it for you? Like, it's never going to be better than this afterwards." But what was well, it, it was like weird, you know, because at time? that point I'd just been. Just going back to my Formula One career, so I drove for Spirit Honda in '83. Then I lost that drive, or Spirit, you know, lost the engine with Honda, so I was out of a drive again. So this thing in Sebring was never meant to happen because I was supposed to be in Brazil for the first Formula One race of the season, which was the same weekend. And all I could feel was just kind of not sadness, but I was just so disappointed I wasn't in Brazil. So it didn't even register at the time what I'd accomplished there, you know. So all I was all about Formula One then, you know, like what sports car crap, you know, what's that? I want to there be a some, Formula One driver, you know. And, there's some healthy yeah. anger and frustration we yeah, hear, though. That, yeah, that. maybe that's what it was, too. I don't know. But uh, I remember, pack, yeah, because the other thing, so when I finished the race, got out of park for May, went to pack up, you know, my bags and everything, and then went to the podium. And they wouldn't let me on the podium because they didn't know who I was because <laughs> <laughs> my name wasn't on the... <laughs> Because we'd never, we'd never signed in, you know. So we're like, and there's the other two waving to the crowd, and you know, and I'm like, come on, man, can I at least go and spray some champagne there, for Christ's sake. Uh, oh, that's brutal. Yeah. And that was Stefan Johansson, 1984 at Sebring. There'll never be another story like it. Uh, the endurance race, trying to get to the endurance race, never turning a lap, rocking up on race day learning the circuit during his first stint in the car. I mean, not even a lap in a rental car. He didn't get to walk it, didn't get to run it. I mean, just go. Hey, I think turn one goes left. What happens after that? We'll find out. It is insane. Uh, And then to the very end of not being allowed in victory lane, he did finally get in, but uh, just madness. I wish I was there to have seen it in person, but... Thanks again to Steph for taking the time to share this with us. I hope you enjoy it. And we've got more stories with Steph. We've got a whole My Life and Racing Career podcast, part two or three, I think, sitting in the can with him. Got some other stories, some other wild tales that Steph has uncorked for us. And we're going to capture more because 
He is an endless well of amusement there. All right. I'm Marshall Pruitt. This is a Marshall Pruitt podcast presented to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. Thank you for listening.